I have the best team behind me and that's foremost my husband. You know, I want to be a role model to my kids to show them that if you're passionate about something, go for it. You know, you might not always succeed in the way that you want to, but it's really the journey that is so rewarding. That was Gina Tranquata, and this is episode 79 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we are talking to Gina Trinquata, a 37-year-old occupational therapist, runner, wife, and mother of two children from Winnipeg, Manitoba. After playing many sports while a teenager, Gina found herself getting more into running while in college. Despite having a young family and a busy career, Gina has continued to foster the fire that started to burn during that time and has excelled in a variety of distances and races ever since. She has won the Manitoba Marathon twice and the Half Marathon once. Last year, she competed in four ultras in two months, completing the Sinister Triple Mini, which included breaking the Canadian near-death race marathon course record. In this episode, we talk about how she fits it all in. Gina's training and racing philosophy, how in the world one trains for mountain ultras in Winnipeg during a pandemic, and the importance and power of the team behind the runner. This hashtag mother runner is not slowing down and seems to have energy to spare. We hope you feel as energized as we did after listening to this conversation with Gina. Well, we are here with Gina Tranquata. Gina, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to Inspired Souls. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, we are really, really excited for this conversation. You are somebody who has come highly recommended to our podcast from several different people as somebody who's tearing it up, not just on the roads and the trails, but on the track as well, uh, which ironically is where you and I first met. So I'm really glad that we were finally able to make this work. So let's just get started with a little bit of a gentle dynamic warm up. Why don't you tell us who you are, where you're from and what you do? Uh, Great. Uh, So I am 37 years old. I live in Winnipeg. I've lived here my whole life. My family lives out west in Penticton and my in-laws live out in Toronto. So my husband and I have two wonderful kids, age three and six, who are a lot of work. And we also have a COVID puppy who's five months old, who's even more work and has more energy than all of us combined. (laughs) So by background, I'm an occupational therapist. So I work with WCB and I do a little bit of private practice on the side. But yeah, our family's very active. We enjoy the white shell. We're always moving. And and that's where running comes in uh, Hmm. as one of my favorite things to do. Well, um, Carolyn met you on the track and you and I actually met at a trail running workshop uh, that Mallory Richard and I put on a few years ago. And um, we we actually were just commenting how you're the perfect guest for our show because you have your feet in both worlds, quite a versatile runner. And I'm really, I've been curious for a long time how you do what you do. And so we're going to get into that on this podcast. Yeah, but before we do, um, somebody that recommended you to the podcast was like, she and her husband met through running at at university. Is that true? Do you want to tell us that story of how you and your husband met? Sure, yeah. So I... I first started my running through elementary, which eventually led to uh, university track at the University of Manitoba Bisons. And uh, there is this cute guy on the the men's track team that over time developed into a friendship and uh, and later on uh, much more. So Eric and I have been married for over 10 years now. And it's so ironic because the year we ran, I think there were four or five of us that ended up finding our matches and four or five of us got married from that around the same year that we competed (laughs) so we yeah we call our kids the bison babies (laughs) that's what i was just about to say the baby bisons that's super cute yeah well i guess um college students don't necessarily have to meet in the bars or in the sorority (laughs) houses it's at the track that's awesome it's so funny the year that uh that we ran 
I don't know what it was, but the men's team all had these nicknames for each other. And still to this day, my husband's programmed in my phone as Tricky E, which was his nickname from university running. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So what did you, were you middle distance then? What, what events did you specialize in at university? Uh, definitely longer distances. So I ran cross country as well as the 1500 and 3000 which he actually did as well. Yeah. And I still run with uh, a lot of my uh, former teammates. We're still friends. So it's a big part of my life. All right. So Gina, why don't you tell us, you know, a bit about how you got into running in the first place? Did it start before university? Tell us a bit about your origin story. Sure. Uh, Well, I ran in junior high, elementary school, high school, but probably as a means more of making uh, whatever sports team I could. (laughs) It didn't take long to figure out that if you ran the longest, had good endurance and some speed that you had, you know, a good chance at making this teams. And, you know, I was so fortunate to play uh, a lot of sports in high school that led to playing college basketball. And it wasn't until after that year of basketball that I actually started getting more into running. Like I, I knew that I performed well in the longer distances. And I also knew that usually you're the, you know, there's very few people in those events typically. So you have a better chance at, you know, that prize. But uh, yeah, my first marathon was actually after playing a first year of college basketball where I joined the running room and uh, I trained by the 10 in one program where you tend you run for 10 minutes and you walk for one. And so I ended up running 340 in my first marathon off of walking after, you know, oh. running for 10 minutes. And I remember lining up in basketball shorts, a cotton t-shirt with one of those running room jackets that have the tail. And in the first mile, I remember stopping, wrapping my jacket into a little a fanny pack, stitching that amount of my waist and finishing the rest of the 25 miles. <laughs> you ran like Courtney DeWalter. You were the original Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot has changed since then. Uh, But that really went my appetite for just the love of running and just running and giving it your heart and soul and seeing where that takes you. Hmm. What year was this with the fanny pack? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no looking at the pictures. Oh, gosh, that was like probably 2003. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so you busted out a 340 marathon in 2003, and I know since then you've revisited the marathon many times over and had quite a lot of success. So did you want to tell us a little bit about how the marathon came along as you did it more and more? Sure. Uh, So uh, after that year of basketball, I actually walked onto the Bison track uh, and field and cross country team and competed there for five years. And after that, I, I just felt like, I am pretty sure I can go longer and I might even be able to run better longer. And so I sought out with a couple of my friends, uh, coach Alphonse Bernard, who is actually still my coach. He's been coaching me off and on through having kids for probably close to 15 ish years. So that's kind of. And the, the meet that we were at, he was competing in the 3000, wasn't he? He did. He is amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty cool to be racing in the same event as your coach. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he shares so many of the same passions as me as well. I'll, I'll tell him about my summer plans and how I've run the Ontario, and he'll always be like, oh, yeah, I've done that as well. <laughs> Just very <laughs> reputable coach. Um But yeah, so he took me under his wing and uh, there were a group of us post-university runners that wanted to keep competing. And so we kind of gathered under him and he trained a couple of us in a half marathon. And from there, I I progressed to the marathon. My first marathon under his coaching was actually the year that Eric and I got married. Um, It was a very hot year. Gosh, (laughs) I should know the year. 2010. Um, and I ran 257. And it was such a bizarre race. They were telling us, okay, you need to stop running. It's too hot. Uh, but I pretty much trailed the first place female from the majority of the race. And I passed her in the final mile, uh, coming on to University Crescent. And I just remember my husband cheering for me and me pulling out this wad of melted gummies in a Ziploc bag from my shorts and throwing them at them and just (laughs) 
sprinting to the end and managing to pass her and I beat her by like 10 seconds. So you won nice. your oh my word, that's amazing. So after that, that brought my ego up a little bit higher, saying like mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep doing this and see where it goes. And of course, the love for it grew from there on. Yeah. Yes, because you've gone on to win the Manitoba Marathon. That was the Manitoba Marathon, right? You've that won that several times. Yes. Okay. And you've won a few other races and even ventured into the trail and ultra distance as well, which I want to ask you more about later on the podcast. But yes, quite a range of experiences uh, so far in your running career. So I have to ask you, you know, this is a question I wanted to ask you, and you have mentioned that you get asked this question a lot, the how do you do it all question. You know, you're a competitive runner, you train for mountain races in Manitoba, which alone is, you know, deserves a medal. Um, you work full time, all with a young family. How do you typically respond to people when you ask, when they ask you that question? Uh, Well, you're asking me on the right day, because it's definitely been one of those days where you won't get a sugar-coated answer. Um, Okay. But but honestly, that the first thing that always comes to mind is I'm able to do it because I have the best team behind me. And that's foremost my husband. Like, he is the most supportive guy who thinks that all my crazy running goals and distances are never crazy and achievable and that I can do really well at them. And he's the guy who says, go for a run instead of, you know, sacrificing his own time. Um, Mm. He's so great at including the kids in my running as well, where if I have a long 25 mile run that he knows I'm going to struggle with, he'll say, from where we live, he'll say, why don't you run the floodway trail? I'll meet you in Lockport and we'll have ice cream with the kids and he'll meet me there with the kids. So yeah, Eric is definitely the reason why I can do it. You know, those busy days, he makes sure that, that I have time to do it. And rightfully so I return that in in different ways, you know, on weekends or whatever it is, but it's all about teamwork, really having that supportive person or team behind you. So Eric, and then also my coach Alphonse, he's been very, you know, training, having a family and working is so different than training at the university level, especially if you're living at home, you know, you go to your workout, you have a meal at home, you just go (laughs) hop into your homework, your studies, you go to sleep, you wake up the next day, your laundry's made, like, it's, it's different for everybody. But for me, I was very fortunate to have that support. And now it's very different. You're the one doing all those other things. But yeah, it's being organized having that support behind you, having a good coach who, you know, recognizes that that's what life is like and, uh, and that flexibility in, in training and, and making things work. Yeah, there, there's so many factors, but for sure, supportive husband, hands down, is how I do it, as well as having a really good coach uh, who knows me in person and is always able to offer advice around uh, what I can manage. Now, you mentioned that your husband, like you met in university because you were both runners and you ran the same events even. So is he still running these days or has he taken a step back from running? Uh, His hobbies have definitely changed. We do run together every now and then. We'll even hire a babysitter and and make that our date to go for a run. But we will no longer work out together because it becomes this competitive streak um, (laughs) where he's amazingly fit all the time. I will work 10 times harder. He'll join me in a tempo and he'll just run it so lightly and easily that somehow I end up trying to run faster than him. And then he thinks, oh, this is great. She's enjoying it. And (laughs) it ends up in a bit of a kerfuffle. Um, So we've learned maybe not workouts together uh, because we're both, we still have that competitive edge. And uh, in my mind, I think I should always be able to beat him no matter what. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's, there's fun in that. And it's still something we enjoy together and and we joke about and have fun with. Maybe you just stick to having ice cream together. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> go straight to the ice cream. He's such a sweet guy that uh, he, he'll detect when we're working out that I'm starting to get mad. <laughs> and then he'll slow down and then I'll get mad that he's slowing down for me. And it just, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, a bit of a game. <laughs> At least you recognize where you work well together and where you don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and so talk to us about where running fit into the picture when you were pregnant. Did you run through your pregnancies? Yeah, so I was so fortunate to have good pregnancies where I was able to run. But in knowing that, and I've heard, I know you've you've spoken with Mallory Richard before and her talking about how different it is when you're pregnant. The body you usually have control over it is so different and, you know, you feel so exhausted some days. So it was a lot of walking too um, and then a lot of running. And if I did do uh, some light workouts, I would wear a heart rate heart rate monitor to kind of monitor that but yeah I was I was very fortunate to be able to run and also post kids uh, both of them were c-sections and past that four to six week mark I was back running and my first ultra was the Kimberly Blackspur ultra which I ran uh, 10 months postpartum from my daughter so that was quite an accomplishment I'll say wow (laughs) (laughs) an ultra alone is an accomplishment but the Blackspur isn't a gentle race (laughs) And you did very well at that race too, didn't you? Well, I wasn't sure what to expect because that one was based off of morning spin classes followed by a run and then life. (laughs) The demands of a baby as well as working uh, at that time. My husband and I have always had very joint parental roles where he's uh, taken a lot of the parental leave with our kids. With our son, Mm -hmm. he did three months. And with my daughter, he actually did nine months. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was it was quite a challenging time to train because it was I had to get all my training done in the morning. And then the rest of the day was devoted to family and work. So it was Mm -hmm. quite different. So. All right. So since you brought up the these races that were part of the Sinister Seven triple, um, the mini, mini portion of that. And I don't know how you can call any ultra a mini, but whatever. Um, tell us a little bit about this summer. You really rocked it out here in the Rockies this summer with the, the Sinister 7 triple and you won the near-death marathon um, in Grand Cache. And if I am understanding correctly, you set a course record in that same race as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. It was quite the summer. I ended up running four ultras as I had signed up for those races post COVID and they all just happened to unfold in the same summer. (laughs) So again, Eric said, you know what, you can do it. So I have very supportive parents as well as in-laws that somehow managed to, to make all of those trips to those destinations happen during the summer. Well, let's just pause on that for a sec, because (laughs) running the races is one thing. But when you live in Winnipeg, and these races are roughly three weeks apart all summer long, you must have been constantly driving back and forth to the mountains. Or did you fly? Like, how did you make that work? Oh, it was quite the combination. Um, It was a combination of myself driving, flying one way, coming back with my parents, driving back with my parents, flying home. It was quite a combination of things. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but somehow it just managed to work out. And, you know, with COVID happening too, we were trying to avoid airports as much as possible in the mix. Uh, But it it was pretty much everything that you normally wouldn't do before a race, where you sit in a vehicle for 12 to to 24 hours, depending on where you're you're doing a shakeout that evening, you're racing the next day, and then you're putting on some Voltaire and cream and trying to roll out those muscles on the car ride home. <laughs> Lucky if you're not driving and able to do that. <laughs> so we kind of just jumped right into this, but for our listeners that aren't quite up to speed on what the Sinister 7 triple is and the near-death marathon, give us a bit an overview of the races that that were involved in that series. Sure. So I think this that was the first year that Sinister 7 actually had somewhat of a circuit. You could choose to race all three races, either in the shorter distance, which was called the mini, or the longer distance. Um, so I chose the shorter distance, which ended up being, yeah, Sinister 7, which I believe was 50 miles. The Canadian Death Reach was, was a marathon, as well as the Kimberly Ultra, which was 54K. So we actually did the Sin 750 miler together, although not together. <laughs> you were way ahead of me, but I just, just clicked that we were in the same race. Anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's good. Uh, and then at the end of the summer, I competed in the Calgary National 50K on the road, which was my A race. But it's hard that, to not let those other three races take away a bit of your potential performance. Uh, so I was hoping to run close to 10 minutes faster on the, the Calgary race. But you know what? I felt that I performed consistently well over the summer, given the 
the situation and the context and what I had to train with prior to. So I was quite happy with, with that. Compare and contrast for us, maybe as somebody who has experience in both worlds, kind of the marathon distance on a trail versus the marathon distance on a road. What are the similarities and what are the differences? Uh, well, uh, you learn quite fast when you enter a trail race that you it's all by effort. <laughs> you know, you can't look at your watch and pace yourself, which is so such a different concept for myself, where even my training now, uh, training towards a half marathon, a marathon is so calculated and and paced and you're looking for those mile markers as a predictor, or you can see the competition before and after. But these trail races go, you just run and sometimes you don't know where you are in the race uh and last summer there were a lot of staggered starts because of the pandemic so that also Mm -hmm. uh, was in the factor uh so my first race at sinister seven i i went out quite cautiously was a hard race as kim knows yes (laughs) very hot (laughs) and i think i finished in 10 hours and i thought like whoa what the heck there's someone out there doing this again and doing a hundred miles of this like it just blew my mind but I ended up getting fourth and I thought oh seeing that my goal was really survival not getting lost not getting eaten by a bear (laughs) which (laughs) I thought okay you know maybe next race I hammer it right from the beginning and we see what happens so that takes us to the Canadian death race so that race, it had 1K on the road before you hit the trail, and I gave her. I think I was second or third right at the front of the pack from the beginning, and it, there maybe was a little bit of shuffle in there, but I just ran hard right from the beginning, realizing that now I know where I am in the race. If someone passes me, you know, let's just see where mm-hmm. this goes. Mm-hmm. So that was the concept, and it went amazingly well. I finished the race I think I I broke the course record by 25 minutes or so you blew it away it was a dry year for sure so that helped Uh, but it was so funny because I finished the race and I was looking around and I was like yes I did it what I can't believe I broke a course record and everyone said where's your family like who's cheering for you and I was like oh I totally told them to go nap my daughter don't worry about it like I gave them this hour later for them to come back so at the end of the race I couldn't find my family for like an hour it was so funny but uh and then when I told them they were like what they were almost in disbelief because my strategy (laughs) it changed from surviving to I think I'm gonna win it (laughs) so then my third race Kimberly I kind of went out with the same concept that one was a staggered start so I really I didn't know where anyone was. I was the last wave to go. So I just kept pushing myself. And the strategy I use in trail running is so different than road racing, where it's very calculated and paced, where, you know, when you're going up and down the mountains, I guess there's some concept of that. And I still have a lot to learn. But my motto is just just go as hard as you can. Like if you're going up the mountain, you know, knowing you have this many miles left, push it as hard as you can. See what you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to slow down for a little bit, fine, that's okay. But it's such a different mindset than road running where it's like you're tired, just keep pushing, go harder, make that split. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just so different, but in a way, you know, equally challenging. But yeah, it's such an adventure in that way. So how far was Kimberly? Um, So you had like a 50 miler, a 42.5K and Kimberly was how far? A 54K. 54K. So when you're talking about go as hard as you can, you know, not necessarily knowing all the elements of the course before. I know you'd run Kimberly before, but you have ups, you have downs. How do you pace as hard as you can, you know, you don't want to hammer down the mountain as hard as you can. And then your, your quads are literally buckling and then you've got to go back up. Do you calculate for that in your, um, energy expenditure or are you just literally pushing the edge for the entire race? You know what? It it kind of coincides with, is this my best effort? And if in my mind, I think, uh, no, you could probably be going a little bit harder Then I'm like, okay, go up just a little bit. And then a few minutes later, if I find myself thinking of other things, I'm like, well, 
obviously I'm not pushing myself hard enough. I'm not focused on what I'm doing. So then I'll crank it up a little notch. Uh, so that's kind of the mentality that, that I used and also just not getting lost, like focusing on where you are because I'm mm-hmm. not that experienced in trail races. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're in the middle of nowhere, really. Sure. You have your, your Garmin watch and the race directors do their, their best at marking it. Uh, but you do have to pay attention in that you know, that mental fatigue, even in the shorter races is there. So, well, as Carolyn talked to you about on one of our most recent podcasts, taking a wrong turn can be quite <laughs> demoralizing, no matter what distance the race you're doing. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so, oh, this is so inspiring. I'm, I'm headed off to a race very soon. And I think I'm going to reevaluate what <laughs> moving as efficiently as I can in the mountains means to me, because you've given it a little bit of a, an edge. Yeah, but you you talk about kind of this big difference between mm-hmm. coming up through the track and, and the road running and it everything being very calculated and kind of predictable, right, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. to, to now going in the trails when everything is, you know, you're running in, what was that day at Sin 7? It was like 40 degrees Celsius or something. Wasn't it so hot? So obviously, and, and then the hills and the terrain and, and the course and everything is going to dictate sort of how, how quickly you can move through uh, through that course, right? And so it sounds to me like you're, you're describing this discrepancy, but it also sounds like you just kind of picked it up really quickly. Like it doesn't sound like you made any giant errors in, in your first few ultras. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I I think I owe that to luck, though, (laughs) knowing how races go on on the road where you might have everything planned out. And for some reason, something just goes wrong. Your stomach doesn't agree that day. Looking back, like I I did all the things that you usually do have consistency in training, your nutrition, staying hydrated, following your program. But yeah, there, there are those unknowns. And so far, it hasn't happened to me yet on the trail. So I hope that that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of luck. I haven't gotten injured during the race or, or had stomach upset or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I, I think I do have luck on my side a little bit this last year. And uh, But it also sounds like probably through your experience, your lifelong experience as a runner, that you know yourself and you can also sort of trust and rely on some of those softer internal cues of mm-hmm. like where your efforts at and sort of pacing to the finish line appropriately. Would that also be fair to say? Very much. And you know what, yeah. you're racing, whether it's on the road or the trail, you have to be prepared for what you're going into, right? Uh, so if that's nutrition, making sure that you're practicing it. And, and I know so many people know that, but making sure that you do that consistently at training and make the effort of, you know, having that water bottle, mixing the flu- or finding the fluids or the gels that are going to be offered in the race, like all of those things go such a far away. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So the second race that you did in that triple was called the near death race. Did you want to uh, explain to us why, why is it called the near death race and did it live up to its name? Uh, I definitely feel that it did live up to its name, even though I did the shorter distance of, of the race. Um, It has, the race is known for their crazy elevation, ascents and descents. Uh, I just remember making it up one of the the mountain ranges and looking down and seeing this hydro line go down the mountain and a gravel trail underneath and I thought no are we that's where I'm supposed to go and I see people up ahead and I dropped my bum and slide down did you know because I'm what I'm gonna fall so just very cautious I got passed on a lot of downhills but then I pass them on the uphills. <laughs> so I definitely have some work to do on learning how to run down steep hills. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it just had such aggressive terrain. And it was different. So it was part elements of that. Uh, there were also very low pitches in the race where it was swamp like, where in wetter seasons, you can be up to your waist, if not higher slogging through some of these lower portions, and then really rocky ascents as well. So yeah, you get I think experience of, of all of those, uh, and then really extreme climbs in that race. So yeah, I would say that it should keep that name. 
(laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned, you know, you need to work on running the descents. How in the world have you been training for these races in what I've experienced to be the flattest place I've ever seen on the planet, Winnipeg? (laughs) I completely agree. Um, so no surprise, Garbage Hill is is one place mm-hmm. to go to get some elevation. But when you're working and you have a family, just driving the 20 minutes from where we live to get mm-hmm. there is a barrier. So for me, it was a lot on the treadmill. I think I can count on both hands the number of uh, 20 plus miles I did on the treadmill at one time. Uh, but changing the elevations, all of my runs always had elevation changes in it, no matter whether it was tempo or speed or long run. Um, And I also live close to the floodway in Winnipeg. So it was running up and down the floodway or Mm -hmm. up and down the overpass near our home. So you you get so creative. And uh, yeah, I remember running, Kim, I remember running the Sinister Seven and a man came up to me and he said, oh, you're from Winnipeg? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, I met this woman at the race check-in and she says she runs up and down a garbage hill for training and I thought that must have been you (laughs) and I was like yeah I do that too (laughs) you know it's crazy because my son and I were just looking at some photographs on my phone and this picture of us at garbage hill right before we moved came up and he was out there running with me and he's like mom it's so crazy that the thing you miss most about Winnipeg is a hill made of garbage (laughs) well son I can't say I exactly miss it, but it's twisted how I have some amazing <laughs> memories on that hill. Like, <laughs> Where champions are made. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh With the gosh. Hollywood sign. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So Gina, our worlds crossed uh, on the track, like I mentioned earlier, just a few weeks ago, uh, you were competing in a 1500 meter indoors on the track uh, one evening, followed by a 3000 of which we were in the same race uh, the following morning. So I'm curious where, like, I know you have a history with being on the track from university, but where is this speed work fitting into your ultimate plan of running these longer distances over the summertime? Sure. Uh, So, you know, coming from that background and having a very supportive, very knowledgeable coach, I've always been doing, even in the ultra training, some speed and drills uh, to kind of move the feet. So three times a week, I would do what he would call drills or exercises. So fast feet, A's, B's, karaoke, some of my weight training that I did when I had time (laughs) included those concepts too. So rapid, explosive, kind of powerful movements, bounding. So I feel like that helped. uh, But I do feel like that background from university, having that piece in there definitely helped. And so after I finished the Calgary 50k in September, I did take a nice break from running and then probably had three months of some speed work prior to that race. So I'm sure that that played into it as well. I think that's pretty smart, isn't it? Like to, to kind of stay in touch with some of that leg turnover and speed. And like you said, with the drills, like just kind of not forgetting about that uh, because you don't necessarily use it as much, right? I'm sure you do a little bit in ultras when you're, you know, going up. When you're on a technical train, you have to turn your feet over. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it's not as big of a a thing as like, you know, in when you're training for the 1500. So, so is that something that's been driven by your coach or is that, does that come from just your years as a track athlete, um, knowing the importance of that? Like what sort of driven you to keep some of those elements into your training? Uh, So definitely my coach, because I guess my A race was the Calgary 50K, which originally was supposed to be in May. So he agreed, yep, let's do it. Let's rock that one. But then COVID happened and it just so unfolded that these three trail races that I was going to do for fun after my 50K, so use my race hard, use my fitness and just enjoy the summer out in BC and run these. Well, you know how life has been the last two years. It hasn't gone any way that you've planned. And so... My coach reluctantly said, I'm not a trail coach, but we'll, let's still aim for Kimberly and let's get you in a cycle of training where you get used to pushing hard for long every three weeks. So that's what the year pretty much involved prior to those races so that when I got to them, 
racing every three weeks didn't actually feel like a chore. And I still had a little bit of that speed and drill along with every workout, whether it was related more so to the trail versus that 50k on the road in fall. Mm -hmm. Okay, I like it. That range, we've kind of alluded to it several times already during this conversation, but that range to be able to do the 1500 and then to like rock an ultra (laughs) and win an ultra, it's very unusual, right? For somebody to do well across a huge spectrum like that. So what do you, what do you attribute your success at, at these various race distances to? You know what? I have to say that I've always, even in my career, I've loved, you know, just having variety in what I do as well as in my running. So I I find that going for shorter races are sometimes fun, going for longer, short, sometimes fun. Uh, But having a coach to kind of guide you in that is is huge at, at being actually successful at those races. And also giving you advice on when you might want to tackle it, when it might be beneficial. So knowing that my goal race now is a, a marathon in October and knowing that I have a lot of speed work to do to be competitive in the marathon there, he thought, you know what, if you want to run a track race for fun, go for it, see where you're at, and we'll use that as part of your training. So it comes back to that team. Yeah. It does. It does. So taking everything you just said there, if... I told you right now, you could only run one race now, one distance for the rest of your life. What would you pick? I think I would pick the half marathon. (laughs) It's not too long and it's not too short. And the training, you know, you still get out, you still get away from your family for a good chunk of time to do your running, but it's not so long that, you know, it takes you away for you know, a long period of time or that you're completely Mm. exhausted after because training Mm. for an ultra for two years took a lot of time. It took a lot of energy. So I feel like that half marathon is a good balance of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a great distance and, and kind of a forgiving distance too. Don't you find like, just, I don't know what it is about it. It's like kind of right at that lactate threshold, but just a little bit off of it that you can, you know, do fairly well and feel like you're running pretty fast and pushing hard, but nothing that destroys you like a marathon or, or longer. I can't even speak to any of the, the longer ultras, but a marathon usually destroys me pretty good. Well, um, and like you said, you can recover fairly fast from it. So you could do yeah. lots of halves. Yes. Whereas if you say, I want to do hundred milers, well, that might be one a year right? Yeah. <laughs> or every two years, depending on where you are at in life. So do you have yeah. aspirations yeah. to do a hundred miler someday? My family's going to say it. No, don't say it. But I do. That Western <laughs> States, that Western no. States 100 is slowly making it onto my bucket list. Of course, Eric would be like, yes, go for it. And my parents would say, no, you're going to die. Don't do it. <laughs> my coach would say, you're crazy. You have the speed to potentially get a golden ticket, thank goodness, because otherwise you better start qualifying now because it could take you seven or eight years before you get in with the silly lottery they have. But that's exciting. So on that note, have you already thought about qualifying races, a potential golden ticket? Oh, gosh, I feel like I'm still figuring out like the competitive realm of trail racing and, and what races there are and what races are quicker. I haven't navigated that yet, but definitely something that I would potentially do next summer and, and see where that goes. So that's exciting. Well, we'll see. We might have to have you back on the podcast in a year or two to see where you're at with that for sure. <laughs> Well, you're an occupational therapist. You're talking to a couple of physiotherapists, so we can't let you go without talking about injuries. Have you ever come up against any uh, injuries in over the lifetime of you being a runner or have you managed to stay injury free? Like, what does that look like in your life? Yeah, amazingly, I, I think I was injured once during university and since then so over 15 years I've never really had an injury that has held me off uh, of running or competing my background is in athletic therapy as well so and as runners we're very highly in tune to our bodies (laughs) and when things aren't quite right so following the rules of switching your shoes having a good 
coach that understands you and knows you in terms of the volume or when to back off, making sure you do your stretches and your exercises, right? Like in our occupations, it's, it's easy to tell people what to do, but it's sometimes hard to do it yourselves, right? So devoting that one day a week to hot yoga or stretching, if you're a busy mom and you don't always have time to do it after you're running. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, going to those professionals that are maybe more specialized in running when you notice an injury onset and being proactive with that. So for example, if seeing physio, perhaps seeing a physio who runs or is specialized in running might have a little bit of a different type of insight or take as to your injury and your rehab than perhaps someone else, as well as a massage therapist, someone you go to see regularly who can kind of detect those differences in, oh, you're really tight on the right-hand side. Did you know that? Like all of those things combine, I think. And then also just genetic luck sometimes in terms of not getting injured. Uh, But to be honest, the majority of my running is on gravel. We live close Mm -hmm. by gravel roads, the gravel and on the treadmill. So the surface you run in also, and the types of runs you do on those surfaces, I think is something to be mindful of in that role as well. So it really is a balance of all of those things put together that I think have helped me stay injury free. My nature is also to be quite cautious as well. So I'm sure that plays into there. (laughs) Somebody who's cautious, but decides to go hard right out of the blocks (laughs) for the near death marathon. Yeah. (laughs) Selected ways. <laughs> well, you know what, Tina, um, I have had the privilege of working with occupational therapists in, in the role that I'm at here in Calgary, and I've never worked with OTs before. It's been quite enlightening, and I've learned so much from the multidisciplinary team that I've worked with. And one of the things, at least the OTs in my work setting, well, not one, many of the things that they do are work with our clients on things like building daily routines, goal setting, Mm -hmm. sleep hygiene, you know, basically just all the things to build a very functional, productive life. So I guess my question to you is, you know, you've mentioned how your background with athletic therapy and, you know, potentially genetics, all these things that have kept you injury free. But do you think that some of the this tools that you've learned as an OT has also helped you stay really pure with your training and in the way you've managed your time? For sure, a hundred percent. And I'm going to seem like an OT nerd here, but one of the <laughs> theories in in our practice is to look at the person in a holistic way and to see how. You really function at your best when all elements of your life are balanced. So your physical, your mental health, your psychosocial, spiritual, all of those areas that are important, when they're balanced and those needs are met, you're more likely to function at your best. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having the privilege of working with people in those aspects definitely leads to self-reflection where you step back after you perhaps meet with someone and you say, am I even doing what I just suggested to this person? Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm kind of getting to at. I'm like, you spend yeah. all day telling people how to set goals and have good routines. You kind of, at a certain point, must think, well, maybe I should be doing that too, right? Yeah. yeah and, and it is very much that it's setting daily goals. Okay. I have half an hour of what can I accomplish in that with my run or workout or how can I best spend my time so that I can come out of that still feeling good, being able to, you know, give attention to my kids, give my husband his Mm -hmm. time to himself Mm -hmm. as well, because it's Mm -hmm. so important as a family that we're all, you know, all have those needs met, you know, with our kids. Are their sensory needs met? Have they, you know, had their play time? Have they had their mom time? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it's. Yeah, it's so intertwined. (laughs) I think the takeaway from here is none of this stuff happens by accident. No. Like you make it look really easy from the outside, but it's very, very intentional. Yeah. Okay. I'm wondering if you can, you know, give us a little sneak peek into what you've got coming up on your calendar this spring or summer or even next fall. Like what's really getting you excited about the upcoming seasons? I would really like to see if I can beat that stereotype of once you have kids, you're not going to run as fast. So I'm going after my marathon PB in fall, and I'm going to do that at the Toronto Waterfront Marathon because I know it'll be competitive and I have family there. 
And after spending quite a bit of my running resources last summer traveling, <laughs> this year will be a little bit more local and with family. And then some of the steps along route this year will be supporting local races, uh, one of which will be the Manitoba Half Marathon Championships, which will be in Winnipeg one more year. So I'm going to take advantage of that, as well as the Police Half Marathon. My past OT work was with the city, so I feel that that's an important um a race to support. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully having a high level performance at those. And then uh, for fun, again, running the Kimberly Blacksboro as part of our family vacation, <laughs> which I've convinced my coach will be my long run. <laughs> oh, wow. And just out of curiosity, you said you want to set a, a new PB in the marathon distance. What is your current PB? Uh, so for the marathon, it's 257.57. So I say 257 because right, we're under 258. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll be rooting you on every step of the way. That's a great race, actually. I've never run the full there, but I've done the half at Toronto and uh, it's it's a good course. On a nice. nice day with the wind coming from the right direction. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. wishing for that. As with every marathon, I'm sure, but yes. <laughs> so you are on the Inspired Souls podcast, and we founded our podcast wanting to talk to runners who inspire other people, as well as talk to them about who has inspired you along your running journey. So Gina, who's had an influence on you along your running path? Well, no surprise. My husband has has been a, a huge inspiration to me, and I've seen him reach some amazing goals in his career. So, um, but another one of my favorites would be my dad. Actually, <laughs> um, I actually ran and got more into running in high school because it was something that we did together. He had a, you know, quite an involved job in the healthcare field. And so it was his means of spending time with me as well as my sister. And that first marathon that I ran, that I ran 340 with was perfect because it was my dad's half marathon pace. So we ran those first six miles until the course split together. So he's definitely been a running inspiration for me. And um, he rightfully will brag about it and say, you wait till you're 60 and we'll see what you can race. Because <laughs> he's amazingly talented too. He's run 131 as a personal best, but I, I believe that was only like one or two years ago. So I think that's quite impressive. Wow. That is amazingly <laughs> impressive. That I, I'm just getting this visual of the two of you running that together. How special. That is so incredibly sweet. Uh, um, okay. So you, you've already talked a lot about, you know, what running means to you and it's kind of your, your time and your time away from family and to come back as a better mom. But did you want to elaborate or expand on any of that? Like, what does running really mean to you? How does it really inspire you to live, you know, a deeper and more meaningful life? Sure. Well, the answer to that question is definitely different now in having a family than it would have been years ago. Years ago, it probably would have been, you know, to achieve my best time or, you know, to win a race where now it's very much, you know, I want to be a role model to my kids to show them that if you're passionate about something, go for it. You know, you might not always succeed in the way that you want to, but it's really the journey that is so rewarding. And also, you know, Working with a wide variety of people, I feel so blessed to do what I can do and move my body in the ways that it can move, that it's something that I don't ever want to take for granted and just want to be so appreciative of that and encourage others to find that, whether it's in running or or other, other means. So. so we end every episode with our five rapid fire questions. So let's just start off with what is your favorite running mantra? Okay, two. First is keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> which is a quote from Claude Berube, the U of M Bison track and field coach, where he said, if you want to run it, just run it. <laughs> Running doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and then the other one is from Steve Prefontaine, where his quote is to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Mm. Those are two excellent ones. Steve, Pre Steve Prefontaine and Claude Berube. <laughs> okay, next question. Do you have a favorite place to run? Hands down or cottage at Brereton Lake. What do you love about running there? 
I love running hard, running in the sun, knowing I can run right off of the end of the dock, pull in mm. one of my kiddos with me, and then eat watermelon. Like, it's the, the best yeah. way to run, for sure, hands down. Yeah. In summer, not Winnipeg winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there's nothing like a swim after a good run. Oh, my goodness. So our next rapid fire question is, what is your bucket list race? Oh, kind of scared to say it, but probably Western States 100. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) Yes. I just got the latest edition of the Canadian Running Magazine. Do you guys subscribe to that? And it's the trail special, that one. And so there was this big article on just like the convoluted way that you have to apply to get into Western States, Hard Rock and... UTMB and it was this like infographic thing with arrows everywhere it was pretty elaborate so yeah I'll uh, have to I'll, I'll I can send that to you to figure that out <laughs> yes. than it does to run the blink and race sometimes I think yeah. but yes <laughs> <laughs> okay next question do you have a favorite running book or running movie Sure. Running book, hands down, is Dina Castor's book called Let Your Mind Run. Love that one. Isn't it so good? It is. We have had, I don't know how many people say that book. We need to reach out to her. We need to like get her on this podcast. I'm putting that out into the universe. Seriously. Did I tell you? I met her at the 2020 Olympic, the U.S. Olympic marathon trials at the expo. I met her and I have a picture with her. And I was like, I love your book. I was like such a fangirl. It was really embarrassing, actually. My husband was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm like, can you take our picture? It's Dina Castor. He's like, Dina who? I'm like, Dina Castor. Don't you know? This is supposed to be rapid fire. But I'm going to ask, since you're not the first person to mention this book, we never really asked this question. What did you love most about that book oh I love reading about how she mentally pushes through really hard workouts and I try Mm -hmm. to use that same concept of positive thought focusing on one thing at a time uh, Mm -hmm. in those hard workouts that it's sometimes eight o'clock at night that you get a chance to hop on the treadmill to run where you just need anything (laughs) and her book's so inspiring in in that way yeah I was listening to something today and a person I know, yeah, it doesn't matter. But the person was like, that's my favorite book. I'm just getting around to reading it because it's been out for a few years. And it made me think, and I was on my run today, and I'm like, I'm going to reread that. So it's just really funny timing that you're you're mentioning this book again. <laughs> yeah. And true to me, my form, I need to re-listen to it because I do all mine by audio. But yeah, I'm going to have to pull uh, that one up. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite post-run indulgence? Oh, definitely watermelon and a root beer float from Skinner's. Oh, that's like the best after running the floodway trail all the way to the other side of the city. uh, Having that waiting for you is like, whoa, I'll do this again tomorrow for that root beer float. (laughs) Uh Awesome. (laughs) Oh, well, Gina, it has been a blast talking to you. I knew we'd have so much, uh, so much in common and it was just wonderful to hear your story and get your perspective on everything. And we wish you all the best with everything that you've got coming up and, and PRing in that marathon. I have every confidence after watching you just rip a 510, 1500. I'm like, wow, that girl has got wheels. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what you do in the marathon and all of your adventures. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me.